0: Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, Master Insulin, Master Your Health with Dr. Benjamin Bickman.
1: When insulin is low, the body shifts to a very high rate of fat burning. In fact, when insulin stays low for 16 to 20 or more hours, the body is burning fat at such a high rate that it's actually burning more fat than it needs for energy. And so the cell would say, hey, I need this much energy. And insulin's low, so the cell's burning fat and it meets that energy need. But it can't stop burning fat. And so now it has this extra burning range and that extra, if you will, is all going into ketones. That's ketogenesis, the overflow, this energetic overflow with ketogenesis.
0: We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the KetoCam Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations Hey Keto Camper, Ben Izzotti here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. I am super excited and very grateful to be with you today. I wanna to just say thank you so much for pressing play today. You're gonna to be so excited and so happy you did because we have a special guest, his name is Dr. Benjamin Bickman. And this is super cool. This is actually the sixth time I've interviewed Dr. Benjamin Bickman. Keto Camp Podcast, we hold the record for the most interviews Dr. Ben Bickman has ever done, with the exception, he said, of his wife. (laughs) Today's episode was taken from our recent keto challenge that was just completed a few weeks ago. Now, this is the first time we're releasing this to the public, and this is really a masterclass on insulin, the metabolism, the mitochondria, and ketosis. First of all, he gives you a basic understanding of ketosis. He's gonna explain that very, very well. And then you gotta put your science cap on because we go really deep into the science and the metabolic process of how ketones actually work to increase your metabolic rate. How ketones are energetic molecules that actually communicate with your mitochondria. Dr. Ben Bickman explains why calories in versus calories out, AKA the law of thermodynamics, is misleading so many people, especially regarding weight loss, and how there's so many variables at play that these individuals who promote calorie counting neglect. And we both agree, calories are they matter, yeah, but they're not important. They're more of a distraction. We get into the problem with metabolic syndrome and the role of insulin resistance in that. We start off the conversation with what's happening in the health space with the term follow the science and what that should really mean. I gave a quote to Dr. Ben Bickman right off the bat and I wanted to hear his thoughts on the quote and you'll get to hear that. We also get into some uh, Q&A from some of the members of this challenge and you're gonna love that part because those questions might be relevant to some questions you have. So I can't wait to bring them on shortly. Before I do, I want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating Review of the day. This one comes from Dr. Mom titled Keto Camp Five Star Review. Ben is so passionate to share the truth about why we have disease and how to achieve health. Love his story and I love his work. Thank you, Dr. Mom. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to leave that rating and review. It makes a big, big difference for the show. And uh, I'm passionate because this is. My purpose, our mission here at Keto Camp is to educate, to inspire 1 billion people. And you know what? By you listening, Dr. Mom, and you leaving that rating and review, you're helping us achieve that goal. If you have not left the Keto Camp podcast a rating or a review yet on Apple Podcasts, please do so right now. I want to remind you that we do have a special going on to get the Lifetime recordings, the replay recordings from the challenge we just com- completed for a one-time payment of 47 bucks. You'll get all seven sessions. Session 1 all about how to start keto or break a keto weight loss stall. Session 2, diving deeper, how to know you're doing keto the right way. We get into bitters, we get into the three ways to test ketones, the nine essential lab markers to request and the optimal ranges. Session three is with Dr. Ben Bickman. That's actually what I'm sharing with you today. You get a free sneak peek at that session or you get the entire session with Dr. Ben Bickman today. Session four is with Dr. Mindy Pels and Dr. Dan Pompa all about diet variation, hormesis, intermittent fasting with keto. Session five, I brought on four students from my Keto Camp Academy to share really inspirational, transformational keto before and after stories. Session six, was with Dr. Ken Berry. It was actually a two hour session all about inflammation on keto and some of the bogus claims out there from some health experts. Session seven was all about keto flexing. And then we also had a bonus session as well. Every session includes not only the full recording, but also detailed notes, resources, and links from every session. And this is retail valued at about $1,600, and it's going to go up to that price very, very soon. But the special discount price is for you to get it for only one payment of $47. You'll get lifetime access to all of what I just mentioned. All you need to do is go to ketochallengerecordings.com or click the link down below to get access to this before this deal runs out. All right, let's have an amazing conversation with Dr. Ben We have our special guest. His name is Dr. Benjamin Bickman. Some of you, most of you know who he is. You've got in his book, He's Changed Your Life, and he's going to talk about insulin, ketosis, intermittent fasting, and so much more. His research is focused to elucidate the molecular mechanisms that mediate the disruption that causes and accompanies metabolic disorders, such as obesity, type 2 diabetes, and dementia. Driven by his academic training, PhD in bioenergetics and postdoctoral fellowship with the Duke National University of Singapore and Metabolic Disorders, he is currently exploring the contrasting roles of insulin and ketones as key drivers of metabolic function. He frequently publishes his research in peer-reviewed journals and presents at international science meetings. He has this amazing book, which you could all purchase and go get right now. It's available on paperback, Audible, Kindle. We'll drop a link for you to get it right now. So without further ado, I want to introduce Dr. Benjamin Bickman. Hey, Ben. Hey, buddy. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you again. Hey, this is my sixth time interviewing you, dude.
1: No way. Really?
0: Yeah. Six time. Can you believe it?
1: Yeah, I'm a boy. I, I, obviously, I have a guest house. I got a guest cottage here in the Benazadi camp.
0: Everybody loves you, dude. In the keto camp, yeah. My, my community loves you. So we're grateful that you're back. I think it's a record besides your wife and how many times she's interviewed you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're grateful to bring you back. We've had some great conversations with you, and we're going to have a good time today. So here's where I want to start, Ben. I want to start with a quote, and I want to hear your thoughts on what this quote means in this day and age that we live in in regards to the health community.
1: The Mm -hmm. quote
0: is this, it's from Eric Hoffer. He said, in times of change, the learners inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with the world that no longer exists. (sighs) What does that mean to you?
1: Uh, It means adaptability uh, and kind of plasticity in the sense of your ability to pivot uh, in fact I think there's something quite timely about this, unless I'm wildly, wildly misinterpreting that quote. But no, you're, who, right. you're right. You're, you're, I know where you're who, going, you're right. Those who think that they're done, uh, that they know what needs to be known, uh, have finished their journey. They're rigid, they're inflexible. And this is, if you'll allow me to say this, reflected in a sentiment which is I believe the science. The the science, um, and that is a terribly unscientific, rigid view, because science is by its nature the never-ending pursuit of truth. It is the effort to understand reality, because there is such thing as objective reality, uh, and and thus the people that are learning are those who can be flexible and pivot. They have their thoughts, and they're constantly popping them out of their head and scrutinizing them and wondering at them and then putting new pieces in and taking some pieces out so it is a it is a damning indictment to be considered so expert or wise or learned learned that you think you're done learning then you are done learning you've become um, incapable of the humility that is necessary to be a student Rather than always thinking you're the master and there's nothing else anyone can teach you,
0: I love that. So when you see people in our space, health educators and scientists, doctors, etc., change their mind about a stance they had in the past, what does that go to show you?
1: Yeah. Oh, it, it's a tremendous, a tremendous credit to their humility and their and their genuine desire to learn more.
0: And what are some red flags? for those, because there's a lot of people on this challenge, there's thousands of people, there's about 200 watching right now, there'll be a few 1000 watching the replay. And the problem I see with a lot of people who are looking for the truth to heal their body, and it's out there. the, The challenge I should say is there's so much information, so much so many different people out there. So what are some things we they could kind of pay attention to red flags that maybe this person is not the person you want to study, and maybe you should go in a different direction?
1: Yeah, well, an obvious one is if the person that we are seeking to learn from uses any kind of derogatory language speaking about those with whom they disagree, that is the sign of a petty person. And and, and so if if this is a person whose thoughts, while they may disagree with others, but they can discuss it politely and respectfully and acknowledge um, that there, you know, that there is room for disagreement. Um, even while defending their own view, that to me is the mark of, of someone that you could respect and trust to a degree. Uh, but but there's all, there ought to be a degree of um, skepticism that we apply to every single person that we're looking to as an authority. We ought to challenge that authority to some degree and, and, and want to know where that authority is coming from Like in this case, as I'm going to be talking with you, I'm claiming a certain degree of authority due to my credentials. Um, But that shouldn't settle it, and I wouldn't want anyone listening to me to think, "Well, I have to leave. I really need to believe everything Ben says because of his credentials." Because there are people with PhDs and MDs and other terminal degrees who are absolute—I will—I will will avoid inflammatory language—who who shouldn't be trusted. And and so suffice it to say, there's we always should be on our own journey to understand um, what is real and what is true. And that is a matter of both study and then reflection as we seek to apply some of these principles to ourselves. And then we can hopefully as objectively as possible, scrutinize the results. And then if, if we are seeing that, if what we believe, we think we found something true and we see it now um, actually kind of growing you know in working well then that is proof positive that is if you will kind of a, a testimony it is a testament um to the to the veracity or the truth um, of of that idea
0: i love that so adaptability is really the name of the game so let's let's transition into why mo- many of the people on here are on here they want to learn about keto right and i'd love for you to get maybe into some a basic understanding of how ketosis works at the cellular level. And then let's take that to more of an advanced understanding on how ketones work with the mitochondria. So what's a basic understanding of ketosis to you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so ketosis as it's technically used is a state where blood ketones are elevated, but pH is normal. So there are, if you will, kind of three degrees of this, there's just the average, there's no term for it. No ketones, I guess, for lack of a better term. Where, which isn't true, every human has some amount of ketones, even if it's below the level of detection on commonly used devices. You know, if someone's using a keto mojo and it says, you know, below detection or whatever, I could, in fact, go take blood from that person, take it to my lab, and measure beta hydroxybutyrate or acetoacetate and and detect something. It's just below the level of detection for whatever that device may be. So, we have that person there, a state of ketones where there's no there's no term for it. Then we have what we call ketosis, which you had mentioned while I was backstage and, and you've brought up again now. Ketosis is generally defined, well, honest to goodness, we could simply define it as a detectable level of ketones on a, on a modernly used device. And yet pH is not changing. The pH matters because like many other molecules in the body, Ketones have the potential to make the body more acidic, and there are many molecules like this. But, so, but basically, at, the, at one of the tail ends of the ketone molecule, there is what's called a hydroxyl group, hydroxy group, where it's an, o, uh, an oxygen and a hydrogen. And that hydrogen can come off the ketone. And so now you have a free hydrogen floating around. And as that happens more and more and more, it starts to accumulate and affects the pH making the body more acidic. Now, when someone's in ketosis, the amount of hydrogens coming off the ketone is relatively very modest. And within the blood, there are numerous what's called buffering mechanisms. These are chemicals that are taking in these hydrogen ions and then just sort of squelching them or just removing them, making sure that pH stays normal. The body defends its pH range very, very well. And so as you are making some ketones, it would potentially, it's making some little hydrogens, no problem. It's well within the body's ability to buffer that, but that is happening now when insulin is essentially zero, there is no inhibition. Well, I'm almost getting ahead of myself now, but I'm going to back up really quickly, Ben, uh, because ketones are products of fat burning and fat burning is a product of low insulin. So to flip this around and say it again, when insulin is low, the body shifts to a very high rate of fat burning. In fact, when insulin stays low for 16 to 20 or more hours, the body is burning fat at such a high rate that it's actually burning more fat than it needs for energy. And so the cell would say, hey, I need this much energy and then insulin's low. So the cell's burning fat and it meets that energy need, but it can't stop burning fat. And so now it has this extra burning range. And that extra, if you will, is all going into ketones. That's ketogenesis, the overflow, this energetic overflow with ketogenesis. So that's the origin of the ketones. So if someone's in ketosis-
0: Those are the fatty acids are then shuttled to the liver. And that's where the ketogenesis is occurring.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, but even within the liver, because you'd say, well, the liver cells can burn fat for their energy- But, and so the liver is saying, Hey, I need this much energy. And normally a cell will say, okay, we need this much energy We're I'm I'm only going to, I'm only going to burn that much fuel then. But when insulin is low, the body can't stop burning fat. And now it's gone too far. And it's that overflow in the liver specifically where it's now turning it into ketones. Because like you said, you use the analogy of the soccer mom. I love it the liver is at the crossroads of all nutrient metabolism. It is unlike any other organ in the body for how much it does with regards to nutrients and how much it gives to the rest of the body. Totally unique, making it like this kind of self-sacrificing mom. Yeah. Cause mom is the ultimate kind of example of sacrifice um, in, in a beautiful way. Yeah. Now back to ketosis. Um, and then so, so insulin's low, the person's making ketones, but it's not so much that it's affecting pH that is ketosis. However, if insulin is now too low, which is to say essentially zero, now there is no inhibition of fat burning, no inhibition of ketogenesis. And now the production of ketones is in fact surpassing the body's ability to buffer it. That gives rise to something called metabolic acidosis. Or, or rather it's ketoacidosis, which is a form of a class of pH problems called metabolic acidosis. Um, so that's, that's, again, when the ketones have gone too far. So anyway, I answered your question about ketosis and a lot more.
0: And the ketoacidosis, is primarily a concern with uh, type one diabetics, right? It's pretty rare, uh, at least you could tell me, isn't it pretty mm-hmm. rare with those who are, e- even type two diabetics, but those who are metabolically healthy?
1: Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it would be, for, for me and you, we're not diabetic. We never have the chance of breastfeeding, um, despite what a lot of people say, men aren't going to breastfeed. Um, but, but breastfeeding is a unique metabolic state, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But really, other than type one diabetes, and breastfeeding and binge drinking heavy alcohol, Mm. ketoacidosis is impossible. You and I could not get into ketoacidosis. I've never drank a drop of alcohol in my whole life. I have no intention to. I will never get into ketoacidosis. With alcohol, however, when the liver is metabolizing that massive high rate of alcohol, you can start to get ketogenesis from it to the point that it could become ketoacidosis. In breastfeeding, there are known documented instances of this which is why i only mention it breastfeeding is such a naturally high rate of fat burning that mom's body the mother body which has been accumulating fat throughout all of gestation because of progesterone working with insulin it's been signaling fat storage now that progesterone has plummeted and insulin has come down she's just burning fat with like no 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 check to it all the more if she's breastfeeding because she's mobilizing her own fat to enrich her milk and making ketones to put into the milk because the baby's brain benefits from the ketones so much. But mom, if she combines that with a ketogenic diet, there is the risk that she goes too far and goes from ketosis into ketoacidosis. That won't hurt the baby um, to my knowledge, but it it will of course be very um, harmful for the mother. So yeah, those are the instances binge drinking heavy alcohol, perhaps breastfeeding, and then certainly the untreated type one diabetic. Other than that, it's, it would be virtually impossible to, to go to ketoacidosis.
0: What, um, what about somebody who's drinking a whole bunch of ketone esters? Could there be a point where that gets high enough to create ketoacidosis or will it not because it's exogenous, not endogenous production?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, Ben. Um, I have to speculate just because there's no evidence on this. I think it would be theoretically possible if someone were adhering to a ketogenic diet and chugging a lot of ketone ester because they just had all that kind of money to blow because that's expensive. Um, then yes, I theoretically, I think they could get to ketoacidosis, but, but it is theoretical.
0: Right. Yeah. It's interesting. I I don't know the answer to that either. And we don't like to rely on exogenous ketones anyways. We like to teach the body to to be metabolically flexible. Um, So let's talk a little bit about how ketones work and communicate with the mitochondria and the significance of that and the amazing Mm -hmm. benefits of that process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, ketones are um, uh, interesting in that, in addition to being a nutrient uh, by that, I mean, they, they have an actual caloric value. You know, they're an energetic molecule that's roughly similar to the uh, calories that you get from glucose. So ketones have a caloric value to them. And, and some people don't really appreciate that, but that's why it's a fuel, because it has a caloric value. But also they are a signaling molecule in that ketones, in addition to coming in, so ketones have, so if, ketone, if a ketone is being used as a fuel, it will come to a cell and then get shuttled into the cell through what is appropriately called an MCT, uh, a monocarboxylate transporter, monocarboxylate transporter, MCT. Again, that's a pretty convenient name, easy to remember. Um, It's just a coincidence, but it will get moved in through the MCT and then come to the mitochondria to be burned. When the mitochondria have a lot of pressure to be burning molecules they get the signal that they need more mitochondria. And that in its on its own will stimulate mitochondrial biogenesis. Fatty acids can have the same effect. When, the, when a cell is burning a lot of fatty acids for fuel, it will start stimulating mitochondrial biogenesis. The cell adapts. You know, we talked about adaptability at the very beginning of this in a different context. Well, it applies here as well. The cell gets the message: hey, my oxidative capacity is being pressed. I need to increase my oxidative capacity or my burning capacity, my nutrient burning capacity. Independent of that, where the ketone is signaling mitochondrial biogenesis as a fuel, it has a separate cellular signaling component where the ketone can bind to what's called a G-protein coupled receptor. This is a massive class of receptors that are you know involved in countless um, hormone pathways um but it also is relevant here and it's very very unique that uh, that a calorie uh, an energetic nutrient is binding to a g-protein coupled receptor but it does and it signals mitochondrial biogenesis and that's also probably how ketones can induce um browning or beijing of, of white fat into into brown fat It's probably through the binding of the G protein coupled receptors, but, but I'm saying probably that's something we're kind of looking at, but it's never really been identified. We know that it does happen. We just don't know how
0: Mm, that's interesting. So here's my thought. If there's a high cost to uh, energy production, so the mitochondria are making more of themselves because ketones are creating this mitogenesis, which is awesome but there's a high cost similar to gas prices in the US (laughs) to this gasoline ATP, wouldn't it be, it it would sound, I know it's not, but it would sound like it's a bad thing because the more ATP, the more reactive oxygen species, but how does so many studies show the opposite with ketosis?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question, Ben, but so the production of ATP does not inherently bring with it oxidative stress. In fact, Um, if anything, it alleviates the production of oxidative stress. So we don't, uh, um, there's some speculation in this, but there's evidence to support it. I just don't know how much to invoke here. So, so I'll, I'll just go a little deep and then we'll pull it back out. Yeah. Yeah. Along the inner part of the mitochondria, there's something called the electron transport system that is a, that has four little complexes. It's four little chemical complexes in a row. And it's moving the electrons around and it's pumping out hydrogens. And at the end of this is a separate molecule that is the ATP synthase. These are two separate processes. Anytime anyone has ever heard about the terms mitochondrial coupling or uncoupling, this is what they're talking about. It's that because this the electron transport system is the part that's really the kind of the end result of burning the energy. You know, you're burning the fat, or you're burning the glucose, or the ketones, or the lactate. And then at the end of it is the complex that takes advantage of all of that burning, if you will. And now we get the ATP produced from it, what we call the energy that's coming from, from you know, we're burning it, and then we're getting something from it that we want. When these are working in sync, it's called coupled. The mitochondria are coupled. In other words, the cell will say, I need this much ATP. So the ATP synthase is going to say, all right, we need to make this much ATP. It will communicate that, if you will, to the electron transport system. And the electron transport system will just largely dictate how much fuel is getting burned to match the amount of ATP that is needed. When we uncouple these processes, now we are still burning energy, but we're not getting, we're still burning nutrients, but we're not producing energy for it in the form of ATP. We're producing heat as the energy which is the ultimate sign of waste when it comes to a chemical reaction. And so when we've uncoupled the mitochondria, it's that we've uncoupled these two processes. They're not, We're not allowing them to be synchronized anymore. We're still burning fuel, but now we're just burning it for heat. Again, we're not getting ATP, which is what a cell needs to get work done. Now, so, so kind of understanding the the coupled versus the uncoupled state is just really helpful in understanding the, the role of the mitochondria. And then Ben, but I distracted myself. Can you remind me, what was your question?
0: The question was if ketones signal to the mitochondria to make more of themselves and oh, the more yeah. it makes the more ATPs produce yeah, yeah, yeah. more free radicals.
1: Right, yeah, thank you. So one of the leading theories on the origins of free radicals is back to the electron transport system, where if you start sending kind of fuel into the electron transport system, But you don't allow it to go all the way because you're not actually getting work or heat produced from it. You start to back up the electron transport, and now you start pushing them out um, before it was their time. Because normally you've been moving the electron all the way through, and then you couple it to an oxygen molecule with the hydrogen molecule, and you create what's called metabolic water. That's the kind of happy ending of all of this electron handling with electrons and protons. But when you don't allow it to go all the way through, you end up having the electron bind to an oxygen without a proton there. And now you've created the superoxide radical, which is the first of the oxidative stress molecules. So creating more ATP actually would help reduce the production of oxidative stress. Because you're allowing it to go all the way through, if you will. And this is something that we measure in my lab, uh, where in my lab, we have one device that measures, measures how much oxygen a cell is using, the, the mitochondria are using. That's like the purest form of measuring metabolic rate. But then we couple that to measuring both ATP production and oxidative stress, the redox state of the, of the cell as well. Because then that helps us know what the oxygen is being used for because if we're getting a lot of ATP produced, we will get less oxidative stress or vice versa. And so a mitochondria appears to simply be burned more fully. i mean, sorry, the ketones appear to get burned more completely. It doesn't start going through this burning process and then stop. It simply demands that it be burned and it gets, for energy's sake, for ATP's sake, and that means oxidative stress is down. But at the same time, ketones have been shown to increase antioxidant mechanisms and thus whatever amount of oxidative stress is produced, it gets mitigated or or squelched. That's actually a term we use. It gets squelched before it becomes a problem. Um, so, So it could be a combination of both. One is that the ketone simply does burn all the way and doesn't produce this kind of exhaust pollution in the form of oxidative stress. But two it also directly increases antioxidant mechanisms like superoxide dismutase and some others that will, the moment an oxidative, like a superoxide radical is born, it immediately just converts it into water and gets rid of the problem.
0: So for those of you who are a little, uh, this is kind of going over your head, rewatch this and then think about, because on Monday I showed a slide of a cell-burning glucose, and I showed McLovin from super bad. And then I showed a cell using ketones, and I showed the secret service. So that was exactly what he explained. So do you want McLovin protecting your mitochondria in your <laughs> cells, or do you want the secret service? And then that's actually what, what Dr. Bigman just explained is one of the reasons why people actually lose weight with keto. Because when that process happens and there's high heat, does that raise your metabolic rate?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, so that's part of what I <clears> – <throat> Uh, yeah, I appreciate that you're bringing this up because um, the, the the kind of caloric purists that are trying to understand human obesity strictly through the lens of thermodynamics and calories in versus calorie out, calories out, they cannot account for every calorie, including those that just get wasted as heat. Heat is a sign of, of wasting energy. And not to mention the fact that people are Producing ketones and breathing out ketones and urinating them out. Remember, ketones have a caloric value, and so typically we say um, energy is, is is stored or or burned. You know, so eat less, exercise more, um, to try to you know reconcile these calories in. But what if one you're wasting energy because your body temperature is higher, which we've shown to happen in ketosis, mm. and and uh, this has been shown even in untreated type 1 diabetics. Stop giving them insulin, which is terrible, but their metabolic rate will increase by about 15 to 20%. Wow. That is not an insignificant amount. And to some smaller degree, the same thing happens when a person's in ketosis. But combine that with the fact that now you're wasting ketones, you have created a metabolic advantage. All the more reason to embrace the idea that you said, which is calories matter, but don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. Let the calories take care of themselves. I think invoking the laws of thermodynamics in the realm of nutrition and human metabolism was one of the greatest tragedies in in the history of of human relevant science. It absolutely misled us and made us demonize fat and embrace carbohydrates and totally ignored the evidence at the time and which has only grown since that hormones matter at least as much as calories because it's hormones that tell the cells of the body what to do with the calories that are available. And if if insulin is low, the body simply will not be storing energy. Again, but if insulin's high, now it's signaling the fat cells to store energy. And this is where the calories become relevant because you can't store energy if there's nothing there to store. So calorie number matters. You know, this this, this molecule of energy, this unit of energy, But a cell does not inherently know what to do with the energy. It has to have a hormone to tell it what to do. And case in point, across the hallway right here is my lab. And we are literally growing fat cells in a Petri dish right now. We have the fat cells swimming in a little culture bath of fats and glucose. And the fat cells won't grow a millimeter until we start spiking insulin into the culture. Then all of a sudden, the cells say, oh, hey, there's all this energy. Now I know what to do with it. I'm going to store it. Now it starts taking it in and storing it. You can't, a fat cell, it is impossible, totally, totally impossible for a fat cell to grow unless insulin is elevated. That is not to say calories don't matter. They do. But insulin must tell the cell what to do with the calories.
0: Mm, that is so interesting. And I see all the comments here that, this is some heavy stuff. I got to rewatch, mind blown emojis. Uh, Dr. Bigman talks a lot about this in his book, by the way. So go get his book. I'll give you a link for it. That's why you know. Back in 2014, I I used to own a CrossFit gym, and I was doing these seminars at my gym like once a month. The science of fat loss, and I would. This is when I used to follow the calories in versus calories out. Yeah, well, I did too. <laughs> yeah, we've all been there. And I used to teach like your total daily energy expenditure and calculating all that, and I I realized that. This is actually a huge distraction to my community. And the people who are teaching this in our space, they want to do well, but they are distracting people from health, me- cell metabolism, inflammation, all the things that Dr. Ben Bickman speaks about. So if you find somebody on social media teaching you calories in versus calories out or a doctor a dietitian, that's a red flag. And rewatch this video, maybe share this with them so they could get educated and change their mind like me and Dr. Bickman did, because that's yeah. a sign of somebody who's learning and not just learn it. Let's get into insulin resistance and type two diabetes. Your book talks a lot about that. You are one of the most researched, well-researched person on insulin. You already touched upon what insulin does, how it creates um, the growth of fat cells. But when we look at, uh, let's talk about America, there was that study that came out in 2018 from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and it determined that about 88% of Americans yep. are metabolically unhealthy. And that was before COVID. It's probably in the 90% plus. Mm -hmm. So what is the root cause of this metabolic dysfunction? And then how does ketosis and intermittent fasting play with the solution?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that is a very compelling study and I'm glad you pointed it out. Yeah. It it certainly puts things in perspective, uh, and helps us be more mindful of the metabolic storm that we're all living in at the moment. So the metabolic syndrome used to be called the insulin resistance syndrome. It really did. And that was a better name in my mind. It's not as sexy as the term metabolic syndrome because metabolic just has a certain ring to it, but it was more descriptive by revealing what the true origin of the problems that we call the metabolic syndrome actually are, you know, looking at the blood lipids and blood pressure and blood glucose levels. Well, those are all problematic when insulin resistance is present in the body. So uh, appreciating that insulin resistance is the single most common problem in the U.S. and abroad, this is not just a local problem, and that it is relevant to virtually every chronic disease, it helps kind of helps everyone understand why a guy like me would devote his career to understanding it. It's the biggest problem we're dealing with, and indeed, COVID has only made it worse, uh, unfortunately. And, and and metabolic problems makes COVID worse, mm-hmm. so we've really created this vicious cycle here. And then to bring this back to, to, to bring answer the second part of your question, how does that apply to ketosis or intermittent fasting? It applies because the, 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 the connecting variable here is insulin itself in insulin resistance, blood insulin levels are elevated. There is no insulin resistance without elevated insulin. It does not happen in any form in any body insulin resistance is always coupled to elevated insulin. And thus, in fact, the elevated insulin is a key contributor to it. And thus lowering insulin is a perfect way to help the body become more sensitive to it. This is reflective of a fundamental biological principle. In fact, I would even say it goes beyond biology and is relevant to our soul, our entire being. When our whether it is our now, I'm a i am am admittedly very religious, but but so people will maybe pardon me for going into this for a moment, whether it is our spirit or our body, and maybe someone would say, Well, our mind or our body, and, and maybe they'd say well, those are just the same thing. I think there's two parts of us, the kind of awareness part of us, and then the, the physical form. But regardless, when the body is, when the soul is exposed to a constant noxious stimulus, it will start to become resistant to that stimulus. And at the level of the cell, if the cell is inundated with something, it will start to become resistant to that something. Insulin is no exception. If a cell is constantly exposed to elevated insulin, it will become resistant to that insulin. Thus, fasting is the absolute minute for minute fastest way to lower insulin because insulin is the hormone of the fed state. And then That Thus, it is antithetical to fasting, because if someone doesn't have calories coming in, insulin cannot stay high, because insulin is steadily pushing nutrients from the blood into cells, and it can get away with it because the person's constantly putting more nutrients into the blood by eating them. But if there's no nutrients coming into the blood, insulin starts running out of nutrients in the blood that it can store away. And as the nutrients in the blood start to come down, insulin, the hormone of the fed state, must also come down. It has to, otherwise the person dies because they simply become hypoglycemic and hypoketonemic and, and, and the low glucose and the low ketones would starve the brain and the brain would shut off and die. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen because as the nutrients start to come down, insulin comes down and then other hormones can come into play and make sure nutrient levels stay normal like glucagon and epinephrine and cortisol even and growth hormone, etc. So Fasting is minute for minute, the absolute fastest way. And then you mentioned ketosis. Well, then of course that becomes more obvious because if insulin's coming down, as glucose stops coming in, glucose becomes a bit of a precious resource and the liver, the soccer mom of the body starts filling up the gap. It says to the body, Hey, some of you need glucose like red blood cells, red blood cells have a 100% utter total reliance on glucose. So the soccer mom is saying, Hey, you need some glucose. I'm gonna start making it for you out of lactate mostly. Most of all the glucose we have that the liver makes from scratch is coming from lactate. But as a soccer mom, it's wonderful in the kitchen and it's capable of making glucose from scratch, from lactate. And so it keeps the lactate normal, but uh, sorry, the glucose normal, but suffice it to say, glucose becomes a bit of a precious resource because we have a finite storage capacity of glucose. We have a much, much greater storage capacity of fats And thus, when insulin comes down, the metabolic switch has happened and now we start relying on fat burning. And as I said before, when fat burning is going at a long rate, we start making ketones from that fat. And ketones also help soften the need, lower the need of the body on glucose. Glucose has become a precious resource. Ketones are helping us spare the glucose. It's basically the body's way of saying, or the liver's way of saying, hey, there are two of you, at least there are a handful of others, That are, that are, that want some glucose. The red blood cells need the glucose 100%. And the brain, we don't know whether the brain needs glucose. We don't know that. What we do know is that the brain will gladly use glucose, but the liver says to the brain, yeah, you want some glucose. I'm going to let you keep having some, but I also know that you can use ketones a lot even more than you use glucose. So I'm going to give you ketones because I can just make ketones from all the fat that I'm burning and that'll help all the glucose stay for the red blood cells. And so it, the brain switches over and becomes the hybrid that it was always meant to be using ketones at this much of a rate and glucose at about this much, but about two or three times more energy is coming from ketones. But that's the ketosis state, the ketotic state and how it is relevant to fasting all of which is relevant to a low insulin which is the perfect way of improving insulin sensitivity.
0: Just amazing, you know, the more we learn about the human body, the more my mind just uh, is blown away in this incredible creation that I believe God created for. Us. It's just it's so amazing and, and and the body is, you know, designed to thrive and designed to heal, but we have to identify the interference and a big interference to Dr. Bigman's point in his research is this bully hormone insulin and it's insulin is not inherently bad we wouldn't exist that's but right. if we're calling this bully into the playground every single day this is going to be problematic so you mentioned the sensi- t- uh, sensitizing i should say of insulin and other hormones that's the key because the mm-hmm. analogy i'll give to the keto campers watching here with insulin resistance it's like for those who have children i know you have kids dr bickman when you scream at your children the first time to go clean their room they're yeah. gonna listen to you they're gonna go clean their room but what happens when you scream at them day after day month after month they stop listening that's the same thing with inc- uh, insulin in, in your cells it stops listening to the message so we want to stop screaming at ourselves stop screaming at our children so then when we do scream from time to time and we do raise insulin the message is now going to be received and that's what a sensitive hormone does Is that a good way to put it, Dr. Bickman? Oh,
1: I love it. I love it. Yeah, one of the themes of parenting is try to say no as rarely as possible so that when you do say it, they know what you're saying.
0: That's exactly it right there. Um, Okay, I want to get to, uh, we have about 17 minutes. You have a hard stop at uh, one. I I do. Okay, Mm -hmm. so we have 17 minutes. I'll make sure we get you off. For those who are VIP, I see Pat Bryant just joined. Those who are VIP, we sent you a Scream Yard link. Now is the time to get into the StreamYard, Yard and we could ask Dr. Bickman a question. As we do, as we get the VIP in here, let's get to, uh, we're going to give away two bags of health code. So explain the formulation, the mindset around health code, your keto shakes, and then we're going to do a giveaway for two people.
1: Yeah, oh, I'm thrilled. I'm so glad that we could partner with you. Yeah, so it, it's a very, so as an academic, uh, there are, I had a moment in my career about six or seven years ago where I looked at what we expect out of professors, scientists, and the most a scientist ever hopes for is that they publish a peer reviewed article and that other scientists will cite that article when they're publishing their papers. This is, indeed, this is a huge part of science. It's something called the H index, it's tracked. And when I get evaluated as a scientist, Um, you know, there are ranks as being a professor. And part of the ranking evaluation is what is his H index? People can look this up. And I was looking at that and wondering, is this all my career is going to be? Is that I'm just going to have a good H index? and, And it will never have actually changed someone's life. And I thought further, I have the great blessing of studying something, a topic that people should want to know about, And that was the beginning of me getting involved in social media because I thought I want to have a direct way of communicating ideas independent of the typical academic route, which never gets to the person because the average person is never going to go read a peer reviewed article unless they're prompted. Um, But a part of this was also thinking I'm giving people ideas and, and I'm leaving it at that. You know, I'm telling people control insulin and they'd say, great. Yeah. Now I know why I should control insulin, but how should I do it? and it was that was the beginning of me wondering well do i actually want to take steps into this kind of entrepreneurial realm and so uh, i did uh, a couple of years ago it was finally time and and i was able to work and, and work this out with one of my brothers which was always a dream for us and we created the the health code complete meal basically It was a way to make sure people could adhere to to what I consider the the three essential nutritional principles. Control carbohydrates, prioritize protein, don't fear fat. And and with those latter two, I have been troubled where, especially nowadays in the low-carb community, it's protein, protein, protein to hell with anything else. That is unnatural. In nature, protein is supposed to come with fat. The two together are more anabolic. It will literally grow muscle better in humans we know this than protein alone and you digest the protein better the digestive processes that are activated when you digest fat namely bile acids also complement and facilitate the protein digestive enzymes you do not digest protein as well in our without the fat in our hubris we've pulled the two apart in our obsession with protein which which i appreciate I think proteins amazing, which is why I say prioritize protein, but don't be afraid of the fat that comes with it. And so that was really the basis of the HealthGo Complete Meal. We built it on this one-to-one by mass, like you see in an egg, where by mass, it's one-to-one yolk to protein, yolk to white. And that was found in the study I mentioned earlier to be much more anabolic than an equal amount of just protein alone. And And that was the basis of it. It was keeping that one-to-one by mass of protein to fat. And then tossing in all the extras that I wanted, um, not only the best proteins and, and, and collagen, which is absorbed. There's a weird debate that you don't absorb collagen and use it. You, that's not true. Those collagen peptides do stay as their peptide form and do get incorporated into tissue. So adding that in and also um, apple cider vinegar, which I'm a huge advocate of, uh, and then some prebiotic fibers and probiotics as well just to really try to make it as well-rounded as possible. I am very proud of it. But I also am just pleased to to not only just be a guy who can stand up in the ivory tower of academia and shout ideas down at people, but to actually be down there and say, okay, here's something that can work. I'm not saying it's the only way to do it, but it's a convenient way to do it.
0: Yeah, I love the idea behind it, the thought process and the research behind it. And they taste great. You know, This is my pre-work, post-workout meal today. And um, it tastes delicious. It's my go-to keto shake. I'm not a fan of most of the shakes out there, but this one I use, I endorse. I trust your research. So um, here's the giveaway. We are going to give away two bags. So two people are going to win and two shaker cups. And the question we're going to ask you, and I'm going to have Dr. Bickman select the winner, is in one sentence, explain the root cause of insulin resistance. If you were on an elevator and you brought up the word insulin resistance, how could you explain it to a person in a sentence so that they understand it? And as you answer those questions, I'll bring it up. I'll kind of filter it out here for you, Dr. Beckman, to see them. I'll put them. Oh, oops. I'll put them uh, down below for you, and then we'll, we'll we'll choose a winner. And then for those who are VIP, I see Antoinette, I see Pat, and I see Elizabeth. We're gonna bring you on after uh, we choose these two winners. So here is the. I'm gonna. You have to get connect to streamyard, by the way. So here is some answers uh then let me
1: just say yeah. you this is so well produced <laughs> thanks like the way that you kind of manage all this like it's almost like a news like someone's watching the news station <laughs> or something it, it is unlike any podcast or anything i'm ever on it is so well done in real time kudos to you and the team thank or you. just you
0: yeah no it's me alina the team yeah thank you so much you said something very nice last time and you know, I, I, said yesterday, the frequency creates the genius, right? So the more you do it's, it, the better you get well done. Thank yep. you. So let's get to some answers. I'm going to put them up on the screen and you could let me know as soon as we will select two winners. But the first one I see is from Ashley. The cells have been so bombarded with insulin that they no longer respond and start resisting the insulin.
1: That's
0: very good. I'll keep going. As soon as you know, a winner, you let me know, uh, constantly being bombarded by the same stimulus. You stop reacting to it. It says, that's okay, good. It's good. um, Naomi says, if a cell continuously, continually exposed to loads of insulin, then it gets resistance to it. That's why fasting is so important. Lynn says, our body having too much glucose to use, but we still take in and the cells yell, stop. Mm -hmm. Jennifer says, the root cause of insulin resistance is when we have elevated insulin over time. Our receptors stop being able to use the insulin and more and more has to be released. That's good. Let's see, we have Yanira who says, too much insulin taken in daily and now your body, instead of using it, efficiently ignores it. We have Sherry, Cherry, or Sherry, I'm not sure, keeping insulin chronically elevated by constantly eating foods that raise insulin, like high carbs, eating every few hours, like my doctor told me to do. The cells become more resistant to that insulin. Want me to keep going or you have a winner yet?
1: Oh, I, I, I do. Because now it's all kind of um, themes of the same kind of conclusion. Um, so I'm, I'm torn here. Uh, because the, the, the explicit question was, what's the root cause? And Ashley, right from the gate, answered it perfectly. And so it was just, I don't know whether it was coincidence or she was the first one to get it in. Her answer was perfect. Jennifer had a very good answer too, because she also, I liked that she went a little further by noting that, that is pushing the insulin up even higher, which becomes a kind of self-perpetuating problem. But that's not what the question was. She answered that first part as well as Ashley, but Ashley was the first. So I got to give full points to Ashley.
0: Ashley, great job. You won a bag of health code shake. Uh, and then we have, we have two winners. So do you want to give it to who? Do- well
1: then I'd say the next one, Jennifer. So Because she also answered that first part correctly, but then she went a little further and added context. Ashley probably could have done it too. She's just thinking, hey, the professor wants this answer. That's what I'm going <laughs> to give them.
0: Ashley and Jennifer, congratulations. Jennifer was Everybody. going for
1: bonus points. If you want to get
0: health code shakes, um, you could still buy it at a discount. They gave us a great, uh, oops, what do I keep doing that? They gave us a great coupon code. Go to ketocampshake.com and use ketocamp at checkout. We'll drop a link for that. We have time. We have a little less than eight minutes, so uh, let's be efficient here with the questions. We have Antoinette first, and then Elizabeth Gerards after that. So Antoinette, I'm going to bring you on here to ask Dr. Bickman a question. Let's keep it around two minutes or less. Here we go. Hi there. Um, great to
1: see you. Thank you very much. Um, I just had a question about fruit because um, I can drop all the other carbs, no problem but I do love to have a bit of fresh fruit and um, 50 grams of um, fruit is not a lot. So I just wondered how much fruit
0: can you have to stay, to keep the ketones up?
1: Yeah, well, it depends. Not all fruits um, are going to have the same effect. What's your, what are your go-to? What's your favorites that you, that you enjoy? Probably um, apple, kiwi fruit, Um, Because I like to try to keep high-fibrous fruits. Um, Well, and kiwi has enough of a bitter... Yeah, so kiwi's a great one. So, so, yeah, even apple, depending on on the time generally or the type, if it's a little more tart, it's going to have much less of an insulin secretion and and a lower glucose effect. And and kiwis do have a little bit of tartness to it, um, which is a good sign. Um, But in general, Antoinette, in general, my view is... Fruit and vegetables, enjoy them, but don't drink them. Don't juice them or smoothie them. If you're just eating them, uh, really, and you're you're not like, you know, worrying about type 2 diabetes, my view is don't even bother counting. Uh, That's my view. I'm not sure whether Ben would want to add a little more restriction to that, but I'm an advocate of whole fruits and vegetables, and I don't really feel the need to say, you know, make sure you're only eating this much. You know, you're you're wise enough to know when you're going too far. And moreover, when it comes to whole fruit, it's sometimes difficult to go too far. When I eat a big, juicy apple, I don't usually want another one. I yeah. eat a nice, ripe kiwi. Maybe I'll have two, but I'm done. And so it ends up kind of controlling itself in my experience. Okay. Okay, great. Well, yeah, and good. I would...
0: It's a great answer. And, you know, I would add, if you have your fruits around exercise, you'll get an even better response, uh, spring training exercise, or even later on in the day, if you're fasted, yeah, yep. some of your glycogen. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, it'll be variable, maybe getting a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor to see what it does on different fruits would be a great idea, but awesome question. Yeah. And I know many could relate Antoinette. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, there's a question that came in. We have five minutes or four minutes. I'll get you off on time, and then we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna continue the live stream, everybody. So don't sign off yet. So Ada posted in the VIP community tab. She said, "Dr. Bickman, you reference ketosis as elevated ketones and normal pH. What are your thoughts on the push of uric acid and more of an alkalinity state?"
1: Um, so I don't know about the alkalinity state other than what I think you might, is she referring to this kind of idea of like taking alkaline foods, alkalinizing foods? Is that kind of the idea behind that?
0: Yeah. I I think it is. Uh, uh, Maybe, but I know. I'm going to
1: assume, I'm going to assume it is. I'm going to assume it is because I think that's the correct assumption. There is no food a person can eat. I'm going to state this like exclamation mark because it is an absolute truth. There is nothing a person can eat or drink that is going to change their pH in their blood. It does not happen. Like I'd said earlier, and I'm coming back to it, the body defends its pH so well that in order to change the pH, the insult has to be so much more dramatic than any amount of kind of food. So the idea that this is an acidic food or this is an alkaline food, it's just not true. It is just simply false. None of that has any truth to it. I am interested at the explosion of uric acid as, as um, Dr. Richard Johnson has really been an advocate of this for a number of years, I'm actually quite pleased to see him um, s- s- uh, share this message. I think it's a good message. I don't agree with the, the key conclusion that um, because his conclusion is even that you know insulin resistance is derivative of uric acid. That, that's one of his claims. And I just know that's not true in some instances that sure, uric acid maybe can cause insulin resistance, but I also know that there are totally non-related uh, uh, um, causes of insulin resistance that have nothing to do with uric acid. And so, but, but I don't begrudge him talking and focusing on it because he would say, yeah, Ben, ben talks too much about insulin resistance and elevated insulin, and so, in fact, we're actually speaking at a meeting in Israel together in just a couple of weeks. Oh, cool. And so it'll be kind of fun to just sit down with them and, and break bread. Um, but yeah, so I think uric acid matters, but I don't put it as high as you know insulin resistance as an origin of metabolic problems. But, but he would flip that around and we would disagree very politely.
0: Yeah. And I, and I love that. And that's the way it should be. And I interviewed Dr. Richard Johnson. He's great. And and uh, Dr. Perlmutter, who has a new book about that. And right. Yeah, right. And, and, you know, it's um when I interviewed Dr. Perlmutter, he said there's five things that cause high uric acid levels. He said, number one, fructose, number two, fructose, number three, fructose, number four, alcohol, number five, high purine foods. But he says fructose, not so much eating the whole fruit, but juiced fruits, high fructose. Oh, yeah. fruit, that's, that's the right. real, real culprit. And there are some meters out there like UA Sure that you could actually test your blood uric acid, which is super yep. cool. You want it below 5.5. So, Dr. Ben Bickman, we want to thank you so much for your amazing research. Where can they go check out more of you?
1: Yeah, yes. Yeah, so, thanks, you guys. So, please, if you're interested, go buy the book, Why We Get Sick, give the shake a try. I'm generally, I'm pretty active on social media, mostly Instagram, just because I find it to be a much more pleasant place than Twitter. <laughs> but regardless, people can find me at both of those at Ben Bickman PhD. Uh, and, and you can even join the Get Health community on Facebook, Health HLTH. And I do weekly lives, including one on th- uh, tomorrow about precocious puberty.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, everybody go check out Dr. Bickman. Love and appreciate you. We'll talk soon. Have a great rest of your day. You can feel free to sign off, Dr. Bickman.
1: Thanks so much, Ben. See you,
0: buddy. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ben. I I love that, man. He's incredible. Go get his book, Why We Get Sick. We'll drop a link for that down below. And if you want access to all the other sessions in this amazing Keto Challenge we just completed, head to ketochallengerecordings.com. You just heard one session. There are six others and a bonus with detailed notes, links, resources, and so much more. I'd love for you to get access to that. And if you're an action taker and you hear this on time, you can get it for a special deal, one payment of 47 bucks, KetoChallengeRecordings.com. Hey, I want to thank you so much for listening to the entire episode. Please share this with a friend. Please leave it a rating and review. Go check us out on YouTube, which is YouTube.com slash KetoCamp. We're doing some cool things on TikTok, on Instagram at the TheBenazadeh.com. And I just want to say I am so grateful for you. Thank you for spending part of your day with Dr. Ben Bickman and myself. We are super grateful. I'll see you on the next episode.